Morning, church. You warm enough? Not bad. Not bad in here. Sam and I were just at 1807, and it's nice and toasty in there, and we're going to be talking about that in just a moment. But before we get there, let's talk about uh, David and Goliath, shall we? Yeah. If you know me at all, you know I love fish, and I have had aquariums, oh, Forever, I think. <laughs> At a coastal aquarium, a hungry barracuda spotted a helpless mackerel swimming there and thought to himself, here's a nice, tasty snack. So he bolts towards that mackerel, and instead of that snack, he ran smack into a partition, a glass partition that was there. And he tried again and again, and after bumping his nose repeatedly, he gave up. He quit trying. We would say his nose got bent out of shape, that barracuda, right? Later, that partition was removed. And I think you know what happened at that point. The barracuda would swim to that spot where the partition was and then stop, turn around, and swim back, even though there was nothing really there. And I believe that that barracuda had something in common with us as Jesus' followers. We rush forward anticipating doing great things for God. Yes, we can do this. Yes, we can. But often run headlong into a barrier. So what happens when we run headlong into a barrier? Rather than getting up, brushing ourselves off, going around, over, up, under, through that barrier... Or obstacle, we are held captive by a self-imposed attitude of limitation. And we head up to that point, and then we turn back around because we've been there before, and we have bumped into something that was disagreeable, so we back off. And here we are, held captive by an attitude, right? Now, the Bible would say that we start walking by sight instead of faith. We start walking by sight instead of faith. And our journey begins in faith with Jesus. It is supposed to continue by faith in Jesus. But at that moment, we begin looking more at our circumstances and less through the lens of faith. Faith, without it, we grovel on the ground. And with it, we can actually soar above any circumstances that we find ourselves in. With as little as a mustard seed, Jesus said that mountains would move. Huh. The writer of Hebrews would put it like this. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. We cannot enter a relationship with God without the element of faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's impossible to do anything for God without faith. But then he'll turns right around, does he not? And he says, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So, faith in an invisible God, that which we cannot see, actually propels us through those obstacles. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. But here in this country, more and more, we are grinding into this doldrum, the machinery of the church that relies on what we can see, what our own experience tells us should happen or could happen. And we're missing, I think, a valuable point. Now, are we ready to unleash our faith in God? A kid named David did it. 
He trusted God. He took on a giant with a slingshot. Most of you are very familiar with that story. But the timeless tale of David and Goliath uh, always challenges me every time I read that thing. I don't know how many hundreds of times I've read 1 Samuel 17. And each time, it just encourages me in my faith. Because it's right where we live. So, if you're following along in the scripture, it's found in 1 Samuel 17. Over the next two weeks, I want us to be able to look at this passage of scripture to see how we can believe and do great things for God. So, I'm convinced that when God gives out assignments, which he does, they are always God-sized. Why are they God-sized assignments? Why are they God-sized assignments? Well... I believe that God wants to demonstrate to the world his love, his power, his ability, if we would but trust him by faith. Now, as we prepare for our move to 1807 Erie in just two weeks, by the way, next Sunday is our last Sunday here, so if you come here in two weeks, guess what? Yeah. Yay, yay, yes, yes, Uh, But before we can complete that God-sized assignment that he's given us, there's a little matter of of a giant or two that's standing in our way between us and this goal, right? Now, David had his giant. We've all got our giant. I want you to be thinking in your mind right now, what is an obstacle, what is a giant in your life that is holding us back from accomplishing great things for God? What is it in your life? And let's name that thing as this unfolds, right? You see, this morning, Goliath represents faith reducers. I'm going to look at some faith reducers this week and some faith producers next week, all from this passage of Scripture. Here's some faith reducers. Uh, the first one is fear. My goodness, are we living in a fearful age. Woo-hoo! Fear. So we're back into our Scripture. Here's Saul, the king, saying in 1 Samuel 17.10, in, in response to Goliath, I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. Then when Saul, the king, and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, and day after day, he came taunting, send me somebody to fight me. Nobody's bold enough? Are you kidding me? One guy, mano a mano, and this is the way warfare was fought in this period of time so they wouldn't devastate the male population and then have nothing to raise crops and do all the rest of the stuff they needed to survive. So often they would choose one champion from each side and they would fight. And you saw, you know the background of the story. Two armies were gathered in opposite hills and down in the valley. This is where all this took place. But interesting to note, when Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. And then a few verses later, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks. It is Philistine, by the way, not Philistine. Just bonus coverage, right? The Philistine ranks. And David heard him shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. They heard and they saw, they were terrified and they ran away. I'm wondering, what are you listening to right now that is causing you great terror? Maybe it's time to turn the news off, right? 
What are you listening to that is causing great terror in your life? What are you seeing right now that is causing great terror in your life? The circumstances unfolding in your, in your own heart and in your own family. What are you looking at right now that is causing great terror and giving you the urge to run away from whatever it is we need to run away from? Your marriage, your job, your life as you know it. What is it that's causing this? They saw and they heard. And they were terrified. Ah! Is it any wonder that one of the most repeated commands in the Bible is fear not? Fear not. We all understand that. Because God operates in a certain way. He operates in the realm of faith and love and hope. Satan, our very real opponent, operates with fear. And that's why Peter would describe him as a roaring lion. If you know how a lion hunts, one of the activities of a lion hunt is the roar will literally paralyze the prey with fear. They are too afraid to run away. So all the lion has to do is let out a mighty roar and, ah, we're doomed. And they stand there till the lion comes up, grabs the prey by the jugular, and the rest is history, right? So it is the roar of the lion. That's why Peter would say he goes about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Ouch. Ouch. His goal is to paralyze the faith of a Jesus follower. Wow. And perhaps this morning, you're bound by fear. And to some degree, we are all bound by fear. And you may feel like the guy who accidentally swallowed an entire egg. He was afraid to move for fear it would break and afraid to sit for fear it would hatch. So he did nothing. Huh. Huh. Think about that. We don't like to admit our fear, so we hide it, we run from it, we medicate it, we deny it, we ignore it, we cope with it, we give in to it. But we're doing something with our fear right now. And that giant looms there. And we see and we hear, and it can be paralyzing, can be paralyzing. So, this can happen to any and all of us. Some of us are walking around physically, but we are right now spiritually paralyzed by fear and doubt. It can happen to an individual, it can happen to an entire family, and it can happen to a church. The giant that leaves us trembling and confused is standing between us and accomplishing God's plan, his assignment that he has for us. And we're going to see how David handled this. He may not be big, bad, and ugly like Goliath was. may not be that way, but maybe it's a fear of the future or a fear of the past or a fear of COVID or culture. Maybe the giant in your life is financial. Maybe it's relational. Maybe it's physical. But I want you to begin thinking with me again. What is it that's keeping us, keeping you, keeping us collectively from accomplishing the great thing that God desires to do through us? What is it? What is it? All right? So as we uh, think about this, we understand that only faith in God will put a giant like fear to flight. Now, we can go through therapy, we can take medication, we can do all kinds of things, but I believe that ultimately only faith in God can deal with the fear that's in the human heart. 
God alone is sufficient to bring delivery, to break that chain of fear and anxiety that exists and is seeping into our culture at every corner. And so here's David. And everyone will know, David said, that the Lord rescues His people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and He will give you to us. He shouted at Goliath. And we want to use the sword and the spear. Yes, those are things that are are necessary at times. But David's looking beyond the sword and the spear. That which we can handle, that which we can do, that which we understand. And say, this is not our battle. The battle belongs to the Lord. He's in it. He's with us. And watch what he can do. Now our next faith reducer comes not from a taunting giant in our path. But this is one that has plagued me perhaps far more than fear. The next faith reducer is family and friends. Family and friends. Now, how does this work? How does this work? Huh. Let's look in the life of David. We go back to 1 Samuel 16. And as you know, from that account, uh, there was a prophet named Samuel who was looking to anoint the next king of Israel to replace Saul. So God sent him to look for Saul's replacement, all right? So he goes to the house of Jesse. All seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel, but Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these guys. Then Samuel asked, are these all the sons you have? Well, there's the youngest, Jesse replied, but he's out in the fields watching the sheep and goats. Yeah, these are my boys. Look at them. Good looking, strong, smart, right? But it's not one of these. You got any more? Yeah, it's the kid out there watching the sheep and the goats. Okay. So we fast forward, First Samuel 17, next chapter. Uh, David is tending the sheep, and occasionally he slips off into the lines to go down to his brothers to give them supplies, see how things are going, give a report back to his dad. And we pick it up in verse 28. When David's oldest brother Eliab heard David talking to the men, he was angry. What are you doing around here anyway, he demanded. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride, little punky brother, and your deceit. You just want to see the battle. David told Saul, I'll go fight him. Now he's talking to the king. I'll go fight the guy. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy. He's been a man of war since his youth. Are you kidding me, kid? You're going to go and take on this guy? (laughs) You don't know what you're getting into, kid. Right? Right? It's kind of comforting to me to know that Jesus himself had the same issue with his family. And so we look at Mark chapter 6. Let me read for you. The next day... Jesus went to the Sabbath, on the Sabbath to the synagogue to teach, and the people were astonished at his wisdom and his miracles because he was just a local man like themselves. He's no better than we are, they said. He's just a carpenter, Mary's boy, and a brother of James and Joseph and Simon. And his sisters live right here among us. And they were offended. And Jesus told them a prophet is honored everywhere except in his hometown among his own relatives and by his own family. Wow. Those closest to us, those closest to us can be faith-reducing. Sadly, they can become a humongous giant for a lot of us. It kind of reminds me of my mom. 
after Cindy and I got married, wasn't long after. Neither of us were Jesus followers at that point. And my mom, in the middle of a bitter divorce with my father, who was a philander and a womanizer, and she pulled Cindy aside and she said, I just want to make sure you're preparing for your career because one day John's going to leave you. And I want to make sure that you are prepared when that happens. And that's the nature of, of my family. Uh, but I'm telling you, it happens to all of us. So let me illustrate. We can become like the train fleas in the church, in a church that jump up and down the jar. You put the fleas in a jar and they jump and they jump and they jump. They jump up and down in the jar, but the observant bystander will notice, hey, there's no lid on the jar, so the question becomes, why don't they just jump out of the jar? Makes sense, doesn't it? They could get their freedom if they just would jump out of the jar, but the answer is simple. The flea trainer, when placing the fleas into the jar, immediately screws the lid on, right? And the flea trainer then allows them to jump, 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 and they get a few excedrin headaches like that barracuda from, from head banging with lid and they learn pretty quick to jump a little lower boop, 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 boop. They, we're jumping up here but now it's do, 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 do. way down here and next the lid is removed and the fleas are held captive not by any real lid but by a mindset that says you can jump so high and no more here's again a self-imposed attitude of limitation that we all have to kind of work through. I believe it happens to Jesus' followers. Let's imagine that the jar for a second is the church. The jar is the church. And we, the people of the church, are the fleas. And I wonder what happens when a new flea is added to the church. He, and he goes with the rest of the fleas. And uh, filled with a new sense of faith and wonder and awe in God. Begins to jump and jump and jump. And he asks some really dumb questions like, Why don't we get out of this jar and get busy doing great things for God? Huh. There's no lid on this thing. Let's just jump and let's go. Let's get this thing going. But there's one problem. The other fleas all around them, they're barely jumping. And so he starts looking at them, saying, what in the world's going on here? And soon Phil Flea comes and says, dude, I don't mean to dampen your enthusiasm, but there are certain ways that a Christian flea should act. And you're a little out of bounds. This jumping, 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 and pretty soon... He starts jumping just a little bit lower. Next is Fiona's turn. Fiona Flea stops our friend from jumping and says, Hey, wait just a second. Wait, just, just listen to what I'm saying. I really wish you wouldn't act so stupid by your jumping. Do you know how you look? Really, all this jumping. You're going to have everybody else and all the other flea jars thinking we're charismatic fleas in here, and we're not. So stop your jumping. <laughs> and soon our hero is jumping right along with everyone else. Just real low, real low. Jump, jump, jump. But all the time he's wondering, what if I just jumped out of the jar? What would happen? What can I believe God for? Becomes the issue. David did not let his own dad, who certainly didn't believe him, his brothers, 
thought he was ridiculous or his king stop him from believing and doing great things from God. Who is it among your family and friends right now that is keeping you from doing great things from God? Who is like a ball and chain just kind of keeping you down here on the ground groveling? Maybe making fun of your faith. Maybe planting seeds of doubt in your mind. Huh. Huh. David didn't let anyone do that. May God give us the faith to keep on to jumping for Jesus no matter what. And so one last faith reducer, focusing on feelings, focusing on feelings, which we as Americans tend to do. Picture here, now in this corner, little David. And in this corner, you have the undisputed heavyweight champion of the world. He is Goliath. He stands nearly 10 feet tall. His armor alone weighs in at 125 pounds, more than the kid David weighs. His spear is several inches thick, and his spearhead alone weighs 15 pounds. David brimmed with confidence in this situation, while the army of God cowered in fear, terrifying and running away. What's going on here? And then you add this kind of thinking to it. Verse 48, as Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him. This is an absurd picture, is it not? You got the kid who's saying, I'm taking you down, right? <laughs> And he actually is running toward Goliath with his little rocks and slingshot, right? This is absurd. This is really weird. Really weird. So I wonder how two people can see the same thing. Two people look at the same exact thing. One leaps forward in faith and the other falls into despair and defeat. How can two people see the exact same thing? This boggles my mind. They see the exact same thing. And one just says, let's go do this. And the other says, "Uh oh, no, let's back up. We can't do this. We can't do this. And I remind us again, what really happens in my life and yours is not what happens to us because there's giants that will happen to us. It's what happens in us. It's our response to the giants that will always be a part of our lives because God wants to prove to the world that he is sufficient. We can't handle it. I can't handle this. You can. God, do what you do best. And that's the miraculous. That's the unbelievable. Thank you, Don, for sharing that story. And only God can take that which was intended for evil and make it good. That which is intended to paralyze with fear and turn it into faith. Everyone else gazed on the giant's muscle while David remained convinced of God's might. He said, let's go do this. Now, our emotions are a gift from God. Our emotions are not a gift from God to control us, but to enhance our lives, to make us unique, different from the individuals seated near us or around us. Emotions are a gift from God. Again, not to control, but to enhance. Our emotions can distort facts. In fact, emotions can destroy faith if we're not careful, if we're not real careful, if not kept in a proper perspective. It is faith. It is fact. Right? And then it is feeling. Anytime we put feeling at the engine rather than the caboose, uh, we're going to be in big, big trouble. 
up and down, in and out we go, if feelings are running the show. If David had relied on his feelings, he had, would have done what everybody else did. Ah! It's Goliath! Run for your life! Run for your life! And day after day, the giant taunted, right? That's what he would have done if he would have relied on his feelings. Rather, his faith was based on the fact of God, who was and is and always will be, faithful. He understood this. Next week we'll go a bit more into that. Now David shows us that in faith, in the face of a giant, in the face of impossible odds that you may be facing with your own fears, if God is for us, nothing can stand against us. That has got to be a fact. If God is for us, Nothing can stand against us. No problem, no situation, no giant, no nothing. Nothing is too difficult for God. Do we really believe that? Do we really believe that? Or are we seeing and are we hearing and are we fleeing in terror? Nothing is too difficult for God. Remember that old song? Nothing is too difficult for thee. Nothing is too... Yeah, 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 it's true. It's true, right? For some of us here this morning, faith reducers have taken their toll. It might be fear, it might be family and friends, it might be your feelings. But they stand as a giant opposing God's plan, bottling up our faith. Maybe you're in a situation, a season of your life right now, where your faith seems powerless. You're just kind of going through the motions. We all have dry times in our journey with Jesus, but maybe you're in one of those right now. And your faith just seems like, mm, I, I don't know, I don't know. I'm just, I'm not feeling this thing, right? This is uh, where God begins to work. Years ago, a small town was a proposed site for a new hydroelectric plant. A dam would be built across the river. And because a dam would be built across the river, the town would be submerged. And so when the project was announced, the people were given many months to move out, prepare, we're buying your property, time to move out. And during the time the band, that dam was being built, an interesting ha- thing really happened inside of that town. No repairs were done. All improvements ceased. Nothing was painted. The roads weren't fixed. Everything got shabbier and shabbier and shabbier in that town. Day by day, uh, the residents uh, were just letting it fall apart. A long time before the waters came, the town looked like a ghost town, like it was abandoned, even though there are still people living there. And here's what one of the residents said. Where there is no faith in the future, there is no power in the present. Where there's no faith in the future, there's no power in the present. So they just kind of all gave up. And the wheels started to come off. And that's the way that it looked. Now, have we been robbed of spiritual power in the present right now because of our faith that has been choked off by our fears, by our family and friends, or our feelings of being overwhelmed by this giant that's just standing there taunting us? <laughs> Where are we with this? Where are we, friends? Where are we with this? Are those giants so large they have obstructed our view of God? And my final point. Unbelief puts our circumstances between us and God. Unbelief, doubt, fear, confusion, puts our circumstances between us and God. So here we are, and we're looking through eyes of fear or listening to what our family and friends 
might be saying or through our feelings of being overwhelmed. And then that will put God way out here. And we're looking at God through our circumstances. And we really can't get our eyes off of the circumstances to see God and who He is. Now, Peter had that little problem when uh, Jesus came walking to the disciples in that fierce storm on the water. Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat, walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw, again, the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified. He began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out, grabbed him, pulls him up. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why do you doubt me? Why do you doubt me? And so here's Peter doing a great thing of faith, rolling out of the boat, stepping on the water, right? But then his attention is diverted from looking at Jesus. The wind, the waves, he begins to sink. He holds up his hand. I'm going to drown. Here we go. That which was started in faith is now being controlled by unbelief. He's looking at the wind and the waves rather than looking at the Jesus. So immediately he begins to sink. And maybe that's a picture of our faith this morning. It feels like it's sinking. It's not yeah, going this way. Now, if we flip that script around, we say faith puts God between us and our circumstances. Faith puts God between us and our circumstances. So if that's the case, then by faith I am beginning to look out and I say, God, I surrender. I give myself to you. This giant's too big. I can't handle this. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to keep my eyes on you. Then I begin to look at God and beyond God are my circumstances. And my circumstances begin to change dramatically because my eyes are on the Lord. And then the sting of those circumstances kind of way out there. God, I'm trusting you for this moment, for right now, for today. And I'm going to trust that you are going to work this thing out for your honor and glory. See the difference? We're either walking by faith or we're walking by sight right now. And so as we think of David, he's got some incredible lessons for us. There's changes happening in this church. We've been on an incredible journey these last 12 months. But what can we believe God to do together, collectively, in 2022? What can we believe him to do? How big is our faith? Are we looking at circumstances or are we looking at God? who controls the circumstances. I don't know about you, but I'm ready for Jesus to free me again this morning. I want Jesus to free me again this morning. Free me from the bondage of my earthly fears, of my own attitudes, freedom from my circumstances dictating my spiritual health. Doesn't that ever get you from time to time? Where your circumstances are dictating your spiritual health, and if you're hot for Jesus because everything's going well, but when things don't start going well, then things with Jesus uh, aren't going so well either. And we're not praying as much. We're not in his word. We're not focused on him. And pretty soon the whole thing begins to unravel, right? And I get sick and tired of my circumstances dictating my spiritual health. I want Jesus to dictate my spiritual health. And I'm going to be far healthier when he alone does that. Rather than gazing on all of the circumstances in our Lives. I'm ready to believe God for big things. Beginning in and with me and all of us. How about you? How about you? You looking forward to this? You looking forward to this? 
I am. This is going to be an incredible adventure. And so, uh, next week we're going to pick up on part two of this. We're going to look at some faith producers. If we look at those things uh, like fear and family and friends and our own feelings that can reduce our faith, what can we do, what can produce faith in us from the life of David and Goliath? So stay tuned. It's coming, right? So, last week, Sam uh, got up here and he told us about some stories that are happening, that are just affirmation of what God is doing. And so uh, someone came to me after the service and said, hey, I'd like to know about these stories. Why don't you tell us these stories so we can all be encouraged? So uh, I'm going to give you current stuff that just happened this Tuesday for me, all right? That was just, again, uh, the Lord saying, hey, right on track, stay by this stuff, hold on, it's all going to be good. Because in two weeks, wow, ah, going to be good, going to be good. Uh, we had an elders meeting Tuesday night, and uh, the elders sang in there. Wasn't that a special moment? It's not going to sound like this, folks. It's going to sound different, going to sound different. I can't wait for all of us to join in praising God together there. And in fact, this week, uh, just this past Thursday, uh, we hosted for the first time uh, the Erie Hill Neighborhood Association uh, at 1807. We we're also going to host the Neighborhood Association meeting for Kiwanis Park District. And so now we've got neighbors coming to us. And they're very excited about 1807 being a hub of what can happen in neighborhoods. So I want you to tell you, uh, things are happening. But here's, here's, here's one from Tuesday that, that was just, again, the Lord just say, hey, fantastic, fantastic. So, uh, you know, the building's just uh, uh, coming together. And uh, a lot of workmen, a lot, of, a lot being done in these last two weeks before we open, right? And so here's a guy from Aldeg who is our uh, heating contractor, heating and air conditioning contractor. And uh, he comes to me and he says, thanks for the cookies. I said, what? He said, yeah, thanks for the cookies. I said, what? He said, yeah, yeah. Uh, someone came to our house and gave us this plate of cookies. I said, huh. That's pretty cool. He said, you know what? That made such an impact on my family, on my kids. He said, we didn't know what was going on. So my wife and I opened it up. Yeah, and there's just a little card in there that says, from Arise Church. He said, you don't know the difference that that made in that moment. I said, wow, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, because a group of women from this church decided to go out into the neighborhood and just knock on some doors and give out cookies, right? And here, God brings it all the way back around all the way back around to that guy standing at a rice church saying, thank you for the cookies. Now, that same day, same day, I meet with our head elder, Derek, right? And uh, Derek says, hey, you wouldn't believe what happened to me at BioLife today. This is the same day. Derek, what happened? 